you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. I'll be continuing this wonderful chapter. Some people call it the love classic. We just went over 1 Corinthians 15, which is the resurrection classic, but I just think the whole Bible is classic. Amen. There's nothing like this Bible. 1,500 years, 44 different authors, 66 different books, and not one contradiction. I'll be back at 6 o'clock now to hear Brother Jason preach. He's got a message burn on his heart. And, and uh, also to hear Miss Nikki sing and uh, shout and sing the piano, uh, play the piano. Amen. She's going to play the piano tonight, and we're excited about that. She might give the word testimony. That'd be good. Amen. What matters the most? Okay, she shook her head yes there. I got one, one yes. Amen. Praise God. What matters the most? And I want to continue this chapter, and I've already uh, preached um, one message last Sunday and taught five hours, or four hours, really not hours, 45-minute sessions, at the retreat on 1 Corinthians 13. It looked like I'd be finished by now, but you cannot exhaust the love of God. Amen? The love of God. Aren't you glad Jesus loves you? And that God loves you. And he's, and he's put you in a loving church. I can't think of a better church to be in in my life. Yesterday, we had 22 out on visitation. Uh, the month before, we had about 42 out. So I need to pray for rain because the month before, it was pouring down rain, amen? And so, but we had some great visits. I really enjoyed going out and uh, several of you here that's been visited and you was coming anyway, praise God. So, but anyway, just a reminder that we love you. When we go out and visit, we're just saying, hey, God loves you, we love you, and we miss you when you're not in the house of God. And that's what visitation is all about. First Corinthians 13, let's stand on the word of God. And I want to do something a little different. I want to, I'm going to read a verse. Let you read a verse. We did this on the retreat, and it blessed my heart. We're going to start with verse 31 of chapter 12. I'll read that, then you can read the next verse, which will be 13.1. 1 Corinthians. You with me? Say amen. Got your Bibles? Say amen. If you're a palm reader, read your palm. If you're a Bible reader, read your Bible. Amen. The Bible says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Here it is. Though I speak with tongues of men, have not charity. I have become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though... Charity, or God's love, suffereth long, is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecy, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I was a child. I understood it. I thought it. 
I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also am I known. And now... may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you. My heart's been thrilled, touched. God, just seeing your people uh, up in the choir singing, praising God for your love. God, thank you for the songs. God, how we can worship you in the songs that we sing. Lord, thank you for this good attendance this morning. Lord, I want to thank you for our church family. Lord, I love them with all my heart. And I thank you, that God, they've always loved me with all their heart. And God, thank you for a loving church family. I pray to God we'd always guard that love and keep that love and express that love with your love. As we preach this morning, God help us to realize that our love cannot make it. Our love will not measure up. Our love will not meet needs. Our love will not change lives. But God, your love through us will be a life changer. And so, Lord, help us as we preach. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, God's been good, very good to his people. God's been good to you. You deserve hell. and God's given you heaven. You deserve a wasted life of just living for your little old self, wrapped up in a tight package, smothering from self-sufficiency. But God loved you. God loves you. Folks, God's loved this church over the 43 years that we've existed and blessed this church with His presence many, many times. And so, folks, it's a gift. God's love is a gift. I love John 3.16 where it says, For God so loved the world. And then He proved it when He took your hell, took your sin debt, uh, took on Satan and bruised him mortally for your glory or His glory and your salvation. Folks, God loves you. God commended his love towards us while we were yet sinners. And folks, we ought to thank God for his unmerited favor, the grace of God expressed by the love of God. Chapter 12 was about gifts. Paul was having a hard time with his church because they were letting it go to their head instead of their heart. They were letting it go to their ego instead of letting the gospel go to the furthest points of the world. And they'd lost their vision of the love of God. So he stops right in the middle of this rebuke in chapter 12. And he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And he begins to talk about the preeminence of love. We preached on that last week, and I won't go over that. But folks, love is is higher than the spectacular. It's uh, higher than the sacrificial. Thank God it's higher than the sensational. And all these uh, attributes in verses 1 through 3 uh, are measures of a of a, a great Christian eloquence, prophecy, uh, knowledge, uh, mis- knowing mysteries, and all, having all faith, and feeding the poor, and even give your life, giving your life to die for Jesus is great and wonderful, and it's attributes of a mature Christian. But he says, if you don't have love, none of these count. It's nothing. Seven minus one equals zero. And folks, then we get into the description of love. And I just touched on this last week in verse 4. It says, charity suffereth long. How many need more patience? Say amen right there. 
or elbow your husband real good. That'll be all right too. Charity suffereth long, uh, is kind. Charity the envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. And in this beautiful verse, it just it talks about patience, endurance. You know, you'll lose patience unless you have the love of God. And aren't you glad that God did not lose patience with you when you were a sinner? Aren't you glad that when you backslid, God did not lose patience? And then, you know, I see uh, another word in verse 4, and I got hung up on this last week, kindness, kindness. You know, love is good action. It's active goodness that goes forth on the behalf of another. You're just kind. You look for ways to serve, not to be served. You look for ways to help, not just to be helped. You look for ways to minister instead of being ministered unto. And when you do that, you're more like Christ than you've ever been before. He, had a, he was a loving, kind God. Amen. 175 times the Hebrew word Haitian is mentioned, and it's interpreted many times loving kindness. Sometimes it's interpreted mercy. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? But aren't you glad for the loving kindness of God? God is good even in the valley. Why you ought to pull that one out of the shelf. He's good even in the valley. And he's good all the time. And he's been good to you. And folks, I want to tell you something. I think it's the worst thing in the world to take God for granted and leave him out of your life and leave him out of your thoughts and leave him out of your priorities. Love envieth not. It's not jealous. Love vaunteth not itself. It's not prideful. It does not brag. It's not puffed up. You ever seen a puffed up Baptist? They're the worst. They're the wor they're the ugliest Baptist you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> puffed up. I mean, they get puffed up because their name was not in the bulletin. <laughs> Good night. Get over it. Amen. Uh, they get puffed up because they wasn't asked to sing in the choir. We'll ask you. Amen. If you can squeak, we'll ask you to sing in the choir, amen. You can breathe, we'll put you in the choir. But I'll tell you, no, not really. Uh, puffed up. And folks, I want to tell you something. Humility is a work of divine grace. You know, sometimes we just think too much of ourselves. And as the old song goes, we think this song is about us. We're so vain. We think that, that was my theme song in high school. Excuse me. I got over myself. Praise God. I really did. God knows how to humble you. Say amen. I didn't walk for 11 months of my life because sports was my God. Yes, sir. Lost my scholarship at Georgia State University and went my senior year with crutches and a long leg cast. I mean, up to my hip. God knows how to humble you. If you don't humble yourself, God can humble you. And whatever you put before God, he can break you. He can shake you. Folks, I'll tell you, he doesn't do that to hurt you. He does it like a loving father to help you. How many discipline your children because you hate them? No, you discipline your children because you love them. For whom the Lord loveth, he scourgeth and chaseth every son whom he receiveth. That means you're an illegitimate child if you don't get scourged when you do wrong. Hebrews 12, 8. And then we, we see in verse 5, seeketh not our own. You know, I believe with all my heart, this, this uh, beautiful uh, chapter, this beautiful verse of five says, Do not behave yourself unseemly, seeketh not our own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. It's summed up with three thoughts. Folks, it's uncommon courtesy. It's uncommon concern. Folks, it's uncommon compassion. It's just uncommon. 
You know what's common? Live for your little self. You know what's common? Get ahead no matter who you have to step on. Say amen, you in the corporate world, you know it's the truth. But thank God, I'll tell you what's uncommon. When you uh, are not thinking of your own, when you're not easily offended, when you suffer long, when you endure because you know that God's still on the throne, it's humbling love. But thank God, it's wise love. Look at verse 5. Doth not behave itself unseemly. You know, love loves God enough to be appropriate. And God's love helps you stay in line. And I'll tell you this, friend. We independent Baptists have this reputation. I don't know where we got it, but I don't think it's true of this church. That we're against everything. No, we're not against everything. We're for the love of God. Amen. And I'll tell you this, friend. If you love your wife, you do, you do not love other women. Right. Say amen. If you love your children, you have time for them. And now, folks, listen, you're separated for them. And, folks, I want to tell you something. Separation is this. You just turn to God because you love him, and thus you turn away from the world. Love not the world, neither things are in the world. But folks, you'll never turn from this world unless you love God. Mormons are separated, but they're not saved. Come on. Religionists are separated, but they're not saved. They're working their way to heaven and there is no work except the loving work of Calvary. When he said it is finished and his blood dripped from his veins and covered your ungodliness and your, un your, your unworthiness and your sin. Folks, it does not behave itself unseemly. Folks, it's compassionate, considerate, respectful love. Love does not behave itself unseemly. I believe we ought to respect God when we come in the house of God. That's why we choose songs that honor God, not just give us a rock and roll concert, not just entertain us. We're not here for Ted Mack amateur hour either. We're not here to see who can sing the best, who can preach the best. We're here to say this, God is best. God is love. God will never let you down. Folks, I want to tell you something. We need to make much of Jesus around here. And we do. And I think we can do a better job. And folks, it's just compassionate. Consider uncommon courtesy. Uncommon concern. Look at verse 5. Does not, uh, it says, seeketh not her own. I'm going to tell you something. If you're not careful, self will get in the way in your Christian life. If you're not careful, you'll pick a church by what gives you the most. I have people call all the time. What programs do you have for the children? What programs do you have for the seniors? What programs do you have for uh, this and that and the other? I'll, and you know what I want to say? What you going to give when you get in those programs? Are you going to be a part of those programs? Are you going to lead in those programs? Are you going to teach in those I understand what they're talking about. Are you going to sing in your music program? Folks, it's not just coming to get. It's coming to give worship to God. Say amen. Now, I believe we ought to be blessed from our head to our toes. Amen. I mean, I was blessed sitting on that front row. If I'd had hair, it'd have curled up. I wanted to cry, but I have too much dignity to cry. Baloney. But I want to say this, friend. That's not what it's all about, to praise the choir. The choir praises him. This is, this is not about the preacher, that I can press you with some great oratorical 
exegesis from the Word of God. No, it's about Him. And folks, I want to tell you something. We need to seek not our own. It's not selfish. Love of God is not self-centered. Folks, thank God for the grace of God that covers your sin, but thank God for the grace of God that delivers you from yourself. That's why churches have splits and splatters. That's why churches have people that won't speak to everybody and they pick teams. And folks, it's pathetic. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I rebuke that from the the depth of my soul when people start having clicks in the house of God. And they won't talk to somebody because they hadn't been back in six months or they hadn't done this or they don't do that or they don't part their hair like you part your hair. Nobody parts their hair like me. I part it in a semicircle. Say amen. But folks, we can get hung up on our little self. Come on, I'm preaching now. What we need to be is delivered from ourselves, and the only way you can deliver yourself is uncommon compassion. It's called the love of God. The love of God. Love never ever gives, and the love of God outlives, and the love of God forgives, and the love of God ever stands, and the love of God opens his hand, and the love of God ever uh, gives, and the love of God always lifts our Lord and Savior. In verse 5, it says, it not easily provoked. You know what that means? We don't keep a record when people hurt us. Now, you know, it's common love. It's human nature to say, strike one, strike two, strike three. And I won't like you no more. But I won't tell you something. I won't sit with you no more. I won't speak to you. God help you. If you ain't speaking to everybody, you ain't right with God. You're full of yourself. Amen. You're full of yourself. You won't speak to somebody because they didn't speak to you. Folks, they might be down and out and can't speak. But you're the one who should be ministering and take the initiative. Say amen. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir and they're not even up here. But I want to say this, friend. God help us as the most faithful in Whitfield Baptist Church to be the most loving. Because we can serve out of duty. We can serve out of obligation. We can serve to be served and we can be served to get recognized. But I want to tell you something. When you serve because you love God and His love is flowing through you, it is real. It's not easily provoked. It yields to the Spirit of God and we forgive. I love Ephesians 4.32. I know I read this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to read it again because you probably forgot I read it. I probably forgot I read it knowing me. But Ephesians 4, look at it, verse 32. Uh, and I want you to look at this real carefully. One phrase in it. This is a blessing. Oh, it's a blessing. And I thank God for it. It says um, in 4 and 30, it says, Quench not the Spirit of God. In verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness. Anybody ever been bitter? Don't raise your hand and don't point at the person that's causing it. Everybody, you know, you're just holding a grudge. You do not hold a grudge. A grudge holds you. But look at verse 32. Be kind one to another. There's the love of God. Tender-hearted. There's the love of God because we can be hard-hearted. Can somebody testify that you've been hard-hearted before? But it says forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Here's the standard of love. Here's the standard of forgiveness. It's not easily provoked. It doesn't keep a record of who hurts you. You forgive for Christ's sake. 
you forgive for God's glory. I tell you what, all marriages would last if we'd forgive like God forgives us. And I'll tell you the why God could forgive us. Because he treated his son as if he did it. And he died in our place and became sin who knew no sin. Not easily provoked. I got to hurry. But I'll tell you what, friend, we need to be forgiving. Stephen Alford tells this of a Baptist preacher during the American Revolution. Don't you love history? Come on, come on. You better love it because you're going to have no reminders of it in America soon. Don't get me started there. Day of prayer. Day of prayer this Thursday. If we've ever prayed for a nation, we need to pray. It's at Burr Park. Somebody in Sunday school said, I think it was Jack, the troublemaker. He said, that's right across from where that statue used to be. I said, don't bring that up. Amen. But I want to tell you this, friend. Stephen Alford tells about Peter Miller. I knew you'd look up at that. Peter Miller who lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and enjoyed the friendship of George Washington. In Ephrata also lived Michael Whitman, an evil-minded sword who did all that he could to oppose and humiliate his pastor and his president in the United States of America. And one day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to death. They didn't mess around back then. And Peter Miller traveled 70 miles, Brother Peter Miller, uh, P Peter Miller traveled 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead for the life of the traitor. No, Peter, General Washington said, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. He said, my friend, explained the old preacher, he's the, he's the bitter enemy, he's the most bittered enemy I have. What? cried President Washington. You walked 70 miles to save a life of an enemy? That puts the matter in a different light. And he says, I grant you your pardon. And folks, Peter Miller took Michael Whitman back to Africa, Pennsylvania, no longer an enemy, but a friend. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Forgiveness speaks volumes of the reality of the Christian life. You ought to love different. You ought to forgive different. You ought to live different. And then thus you'll die different. If you're a real loving Christian. Look at verse 5. Thinketh no evil. Don't, you don't take no worthless inventory. Love always thinks the best of others. Genuine love does not dwell on what others have done. You ever? I, I, I've been around people that said, Well, I know she offended me in 1948. It was May 2nd. And I, I, I've got over it. Yeah, you've got over it, all right? You got over it so much you noted in your Bible the day she offended you. And folks, I want to tell you something. Real love does not remember injury. Real love believe, does not believe all it hears about another one. And the real love does not look for faults in others. Some people are trash collectors instead of treasure collectors. Or look for the good in people. I don't believe we ought to compromise sin. I believe you ought to be able to receive strong, straight preaching. And I believe a real friend or a real mate should always be able to point out what's wrong in our lives. Don't try it too much or your marriage might be jeopardized. What's going on? What makes a difference? I'll tell you what, uncommon courtesy, uncommon concern, and uncommon control. That brings me to verse 6. It says, rejoices not in iniquity. Love hates 
sin. But love's the sinner. You're looking at a guy here that's going to be 70 years old in a month that hates liquor. I hate it. We fought it and we've lost on the liquor selling on Sunday. You can go get drunk on Sunday. You can buy it on Sunday. We won it, but then the lawyers discounted it and kicked it out. And we spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands of dollars fighting. But I want to tell you something. I love the alcoholic. I love the sinner. I stand against homosexuality. I stand against lesbianism. But I love those people enough to witness to them and tell them they must be born again. So you can hate sin but love the sinner. And that's a trait of a real Christian. Say amen. We ought to hate sin because God, God hates it. And it's what put him on the cross. But we ought to love every sinner he died for. Without exception. Rejoices in the truth. Folks, I want to tell you something. You ought to rejoice in this hour of preaching. Some people rejoice when it's over. <laughs> Hallelujah, you know. It's over. He preached 45 minutes. Well, good night. How many's ever watched a movie over 45 minutes? I watched a Hallmark movie this week with my wife, because she's really injured, and uh, uh, because, uh, uh, with my wife over 45 minutes. Say amen. She's watched many a ball game, many a ball game with me that's over 45 minutes. I can't understand why people about 45 minutes, they start doing the Baptist wave. They start waving their watch. I see you. you know, I tell you, it's bad when they pull out their pocket calendar and start waving it. <laughs> but we don't come to leave. We come to be blessed. We come to give glory to God. And we come to hear the truth. Love rejoices in truth. Folks, love is honest. You want to have a relationship worth anything in your marriage, you ought to be honest with each other. You ought to be transparent. There ought to be no secrets, say amen. I tell you, I don't keep anything from my wife except what will hurt her about the church. I don't go home and complain about every person. It wouldn't do any good. She'd just turn around and say, let's pray. So why should I complain, <laughs> amen? She's a praying woman. But folks, we ought to rejoice in the truth. Love is glad for the truth. Love hurts when the truth is not spoken. Love is glad when the truth wins the day. And then I want you to see verse 7 through 12. I feel like I'm going to be preaching on this next Sunday for Mother's Day. That'll be all right. Amen. But I see love's fortitude in verse 7 through 12. You know what I love about the love of God? It lasts. Can I say that again? It endures. You know what I love about God? He's not fickle. He is faithful. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad God doesn't treat you like you treat some other people? Yeah. Come on now. Love has staying power. Love is a remarkable thing that never wavers or never fails. Look at verse 7. It says, beareth all things. Beareth all things. That literally means cover all things. Instead of parading people's failures and faults, love covers a multitude of sin. I like what God did. God committed his love towards us when we were yet what? Sinners! He didn't save you when you was perfect. He saved you when you was a pitiful sinner. 
He didn't save you when you had it all together. He saved you when you was falling apart. He didn't save you when you was a religious, self-righteous person. He saved you as a low-down sinner that deserved hell and thank God for it. Amen. Glad he didn't give up on me. We shouldn't give up on others. Folks, we ought to be one that protects people, not pollutes their character by gossip. Let me preach on that a little, little while. Nobody's ever been guilty of gossip in here, either. Mine's a lady one time, the biggest gossip in the church, and she got under Holy Ghost conviction, went up to the preacher and whispered and said, Preacher, I need to lay my tongue down on the altar. He looked both ways and says, I hope it'll hold it. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you something, friend. It, it, it doesn't profit anything to be a gossip, to be critical, cynical. You ever been around a person like that? Don't, don't point, but you've been around people like that. And folks, that nobody likes to be around them. People like to be around positive people and people that's got an optimism. And folks, the love of God's that way. Believeth all things. Look at it. Verse 6. Sorry if I preach word by word here. Amen. Believeth all things. Love always places the best possible interpretation on everything that happens. For we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God and called according to his purpose. That's in the word of God. Say amen. Right. But folks, I'll tell you, some people get soured up, get bitter. But I want to tell you something, the love, God loves you too much to hurt you, right. just to hurt you. The only time God hurts you is to help you. The only time God allows you to go through suffering is that you'll be more like him. It's always for conforming. Say amen. Don't you love how the Lord loves you, even in the valley? Yes. Then love hopeth all things. You know, folks, hopeth all things means you expect something good to come out of this. Now, I'm a lot like Oral Roberts and say something good's going to happen to you today and think a 700-foot Jesus is going to fall from the sky. I'm talking about, folks, you're biblically sound in knowing that all things do work together. And that's the key word. And folks, we have a hope. We're optimists. Love always lays hope that things will work out if we place them in God's hand and we don't get in the flesh and we don't get bitter and we don't give up and we don't get so depressed that we can't look up Folks, God's love hopeth all things. God's love beareth all things. God's love believeth all things. We believe he will triumph. We believe he's coming again. We believe, we believe and have confidence in God that he'll never leave us or forsake us. Amen. And so love believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And then look at verse eight. It says, charity never faileth. That's God's love never fails. Your love fails. I guarantee you, your love's failed towards your husband, your wife. Your love might have failed uh, towards uh, the best friend you ever had, and now you don't speak. But God's love will never fail. When everything else in this world has passed away, when everything that held us uh, in high esteem is gone, when knowledge and spiritual gifts no longer matter, love will still exist. It's a more excellent love. We might lose a battle, but we're not losing the war. Say amen. I'll just, just want to remind you of this fact. You're going to heaven. It's a place of perfect love, perfect laughter, and perfect light because the perfect Lord is on the throne. Amen. Oh, I see love's distinction. It does not give up. It does not give, give in. It does not give out. Love that is real is love that lasts. 
I love that about God's love, don't you? That we have a love that does not give up. Does not turn on a person. Does not get fickle. You know, so many people are so easily offended. You need to get, you need to get some security in the Lord. Those easily offended people are insecure because they've got to get their firmness and their stability and their ego from somebody else. And so when they don't do that, they fall apart. And marriages fall apart because you can't get the significance and the security you need out of your mate. You'll never get that out of another sinner. But you'll get it out of God's love. And God's love gives you security that no other love can give you. God loves me, and he always will. Then I see, last but not least, love's durability. Love's durability. Look at verse 9. Or verse 8. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. You think he might be referring back to chapter 12, and he's about to lower the boom in chapter 14, about this tongue speaking, and this gift stuff. And he talks about it being a sign to the Jew in 1 Corinthians 14, 22. To the unbeliever. And then in verse 23, it says, If therefore the whole church come together into one place and all speak with tongues, there come in those that are unlearned and believers, will they not say that ye are what? Mad. Look at it, 1 Corinthians 14, 23. I didn't have enough guts to say that. But the Bible says if a church speaks all together in tongues, that the lost world would come in and say that you're crazy. And I want to tell you something, folks. We're not crazy. They're crazy if we're not trusting the Lord, but we're not crazy. Folks, I know um, who, who is my Savior, and I know who my foundation is. You better not, you know, and some people call us a fool, but I want to tell you, whose fool are you? I might be a fool for Christ, but I'm not a fool for the world. Amen. And folks, the Bible says that if everybody spoke in tongues without an interpreter, look at verse 27, if any man speak in unknown tongue, let it be by two or or at the most by three and by course, and let one interpret. See, there was many, many languages, logos, that's what tongues mean in, um, in Corinth. And he said, listen, you line up an interpreter if you want to give a message, and we don't know your language. That's, sort of, that's pretty simple, isn't it? A lot of people think it's some kind of unknown language. But look what the Bible says about that. It says in verse 8, they shall fail, prophecy. A prophecy is extra-biblical revelation. We don't have that today. You say, oh, I do. Well, you're eating too many Whoppers at 1130 at night, say amen. You're having visions you shouldn't be having. Folks, we get our vision from the Word of God, say amen. We don't get it from some prophet. There is no prophet since, since John the Baptist, the Bible says. And folks, there's prophetic, there's prophetic visions. But folks, we got the whole vision of Jesus right here. Amen. Now I'm getting somewhere here. Then it says this. They shall, and it says, there be tongues, they shall cease. They shall cease. I wonder why would they cease? Apostolic gifts. No Bible. No word. And somebody would come in with, an, with, a, with a prophecy. There will be a rapture. Never heard that in the Old Testament. And Paul had a prophecy of that. But now we have the first Thessalonians Chapter 4, 13 through 18. We have 1 Corinthians 15. Well, folks, the Bible says there'll be a rapture. We don't go by some personal opinion or extra-biblical prophecy. 
We go by the word of God, say amen, because you've got to believe this. There is a lot of false prophets in in this world. There's a lot of cults in this world, say amen. Joseph Smith said he was a prophet. Well, he killed two or three people and had five or six wives, and there goes the Mormon church down the drain. No, it's more prosperous today than it's ever been. People will believe a lie, and they will believe a liar. You say, I don't like that. Hey, I didn't, I'm not running for anything. I'm not a politician. I'm a preacher. Say amen. amen. The Bible tells us there'll be apostolic gifts. There'll be things that took place when the Bible was not whole or the canon was not whole, when Jesus had not resurrected or ascended, that uh, will not take place today. Let me give it to you, Hebrews 2, 3. Look at it. This will help you now dealing with the charismatic confusion. Amen. This is right in context too. I'm not trying to pull something. The Bible says, Prophecy shall fail, but tongues shall cease. And whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now knowledge is where you say, hey, there's a sinner in here that, uh, uh, or there's a person in here that has, has to be healed on the right foot and God's given me that word of knowledge and God gave that to them. That don't happen today. That does on TV. But I'll tell you what, they've done some studies on that and they found out that people had headsets in their ears and they were telling, asking people and interviewing them and then telling the big prophet that's making millions of dollars on stage what was wrong with that lady and they caught them. Hmm. You say, that's ugly. That's not loving. No, I'm being as loving as I can to teach you against error. Amen. But Hebrews chapter two, real quick. It started out to be a little sweet, nice message, didn't it? Hebrews two. And look at verse um, uh Three, Hebrews two three, it says, "How can we? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord?" But look at this, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Confirmed by them that heard him. Let me close with saying this: That's the disciples, that's the apostles. But look at verse four: What the apostles had that we don't have. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders. Bearing who? Them. Who's them? That's referring back to the disciples or the apostles. It says, also God bearing them witness with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Now there's a key. Went over that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 last week. According to his will, he gives you gifts, not what you demand or what you beg for or what you ask for. God gives you the gift for this church, and everybody has a gift to be part of the body. But the Bible said there was authenticating signs. The Bible says he confirmed to us by them, but then he said God also bearing them, that's the apostles, witness with signs and wonders and divers miracles. Now you say, preacher, you don't believe in the gift of healing? Yes, I do. But I don't believe in the gift of a healer. I don't believe that somebody has a gift of healing to get up on the stage and make millions of dollars a year and never go to the hospital and touch a little dying baby of cancer. You got the gift of healing. I got I got a, a Eggleston Hospital down here. I want you to go with me. I want you to go door to door and touch those babies that's got cancer. You got the gift of healing. But folks, I believe in healing through prayer. Say amen then God gets the glory, not a celebrity. God gets the glory, not a preacher. 
I believe in the gift of healing, but not the gift of healer. But I want to tell you something. In the Bible days, the apostles had the gift of healing. They could even resurrect the dead. Say amen right there. And anybody says that today, they are really, they're really, they're really stretching. They go up to somebody and knock on their door and say, hey, 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 I want to tell you about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never heard that message. They don't have the Bible. You know what the first inclination is? They are crazy. Come on, Thelma, come to the door. This lady, this man says he knows somebody that died and was buried and three days later arose. This guy is a quack. This guy is crazy. He's an apostle sitting on the front porch witnessing. And he looks in and he sees somebody in a beer. That's a biblical word for casket. They're dead. They walk in and they touch that person in the casket. He rises up from the dead. And then he starts repeating himself. So I want to tell you about a man named Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection. Now they're listening. Well, folks, we don't depend on somebody going door to door raising the dead. We depend on people going door to door with the living word of God. Amen. Amen? Apostolic gifts, signs and wonders, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, Folks, I believe the greatest knowledge you'll ever have is go by this book. Love rejoices in truth. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 8.20 says you can tell a prophet by if they go by the law. That means they go by the book. If I don't go by the book, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a preacher. And folks, I want to tell you something. That explains verse 8. Let's read it again. We'll close. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecy, they shall fail. He's trying to straighten them out. They've gone to seed on gifts. They're splitting the church. They're bragging. They're interrupting the service. The preacher can't preach a word. If you look in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I'd rather have five words of clear understanding preaching than 10,000 words of an unknown language. That's what he says in verse chapter 14. But look at this. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecy, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. We know in part and we prophesy in part. Whole word of God's not together. Whole canon hadn't come together. But look at this. But when that which is perfect is come, listen to this now, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. He says, get off the emphasis of give, gifts and start falling in love with the giver. His name is Jesus. Amen. Amen? Stop seeking a sign and start surrendering to the Savior. That's love. Look at verse 9, 10. But when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part, verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. What's he referring to? He's referring to seeking signs and sensations. The Bible says in Matthew, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. You shouldn't seek after a sign. You ought to seek after the Savior. He's the sign, the death, burial, and resurrection. A big enough sign for me, say amen. I don't need signs, signals, or sensation. All I need is the Savior's presence. And then the scriptures that are inspired. Look at this. I'm not trying to be haughty. I'm not trying to be prideful. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be hurtful. I'm trying to be helpful. Look at verse 12. For now we see through a glass darkly. 
then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. All the questions are going to be answered in heaven. But here's verse 13, I close. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. I want to tell you something, friend, and I ain't got time to go into it, but the greatest commandment is found in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 8, 38. It says, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. Then it goes on in verse 39 and 40, Love thy neighbor as you love yourself. But folks, I want to tell you something. You'll never love your neighbor until you're full of God's love. You'll never be patient. You'll never be kind. You'll never be merciful. You'll never be humble. You'll never be unselfish. You'll never have holy love, truthful love, bearing love, trusting love, expecting love until you're full of His love. And so folks, don't seek for signs Chapter 12. Don't seek for signs, chapter 14. Seek for the sensational, wonderful, supernatural love of God. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have His love than be known as a great prophet or great healer. I just want to be a servant crying out in the wilderness, God loves you. God so loved you that He died on the cross for you. God loved you so much that He arose from the dead. And God loves you so much He's coming again. Love never fails. It didn't fall in the garden. It didn't fail in the garden. He came looking for him and said, Adam, where art thou? Folks, it didn't fail at Calvary when He said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And praise God, it's not going to fail today when we open this word and say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to my heart. Change my life. Faith is important. Hope is important. But the greatest of these is love. Father, use this message. God, I thank you for a chapter that's so instructive and so constructive and tells us how to keep our priorities straight. And Lord, may we never lose the priority of knowing your love, expressing your love, and being a vessel of your love is our prayer today.